Give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. to another episode of Comical Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Corbett, and with me is... Miguel Garza. We also have my lovely wife, Heather. What's up, guys? And we have a surprise special guest for today's episode, Mr. Kel Simons. I hope I'm saying that right. You you got it right. Awesome. Uh, Kel is the writer of an image book that just recently came out called The Mercenary Sea. Um, I didn't know this until earlier today, but he also wrote a book that I picked up and actually really loved called Isle of Trouble. Thank you. You all right? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Hell of a problem there. <laughs> Miguel looked like he was having a heart attack or something. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> what happens when you try to drive two and a half hours and eat at the same time? It doesn't work out for you. <laughs> so anyways, uh, let's get right to things. We're going to talk about the books we loved this week. How did you feel, Miguel? What were your top two for the week? It was kind of hard. I had a couple books there I was looking at, but then I got into the image stuff and uh, I chose Dead Body Road okay. as my number two. Which, you know, it's kind of violent. I really like it. It's extremely know. violent. <laughs> it's great. It's a, a, guy there, it's a guy in there. They're fighting. They're punching him off. They had to hit him with a car uh, to finally take him down. So that was kind of cool. Uh, Have you checked that one out, Kel? No, I haven't. No. That's uh, Justin Jordan and Mateo Scalera. I'm a huge fan of Mateo Scalera's art. So I'm definitely picking that one up. But yeah, it's just really violent. <laughs> it's a crime spree kind of book. So if you enjoy that, you might like it. I do like crime. <laughs> <laughs> The other book I took, uh, number one, uh, listed it once before, uh, Deadly Class, number two. Yeah, uh, that's a book by Rick Remender, and again, uh, I'll agree with you on that one. That was definitely the best book of this week. Another violent book. Extremely violent. <laughs> uh, that one's about, like we talked about before, a kid who got integrated into the School for Assassins, and it's all about him adjusting to life among all these already established cliques of assassins inside the school, and uh, you know they all kind of fear him because he has this really wicked reputation, but uh, he's also unsure of himself, so he tends to hang out with the slackers, and when he's challenged, he doesn't back down. He's kind of cool. And he's Hispanic. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta show that Mexican love. That's right. (laughs) No robo-love today. No no robo-love? Just Mexican? Only Mexican? Only Mexican love today. But, you know, there was a couple other books I'm not gonna... I'll just mention them. They weren't, you know, my top two, but uh, Black Science. Yeah. um, Sheltered. Sheltered was good. And Deadpool. Okay. Those those were rounding up my top five I just wanted to throw that in there, because it was so good, it was really hard to choose. It was another great week. There's no no denying that. Um, I picked up a ton of image books. I think this was an expensive week. For me, I spent almost $100 on books. Uh, I'll agree with you. I think uh, Deadly Class was definitely the best book of the week. Probably my second favorite was Black Science, because they're establishing more of that universe, where they're going to be going as far as the time travel goes, plus they introduced that new mysterious character who you don't really know who it is, who's uh, tracking down the scientists. Oh yeah, he landed in the... That was pretty cool. Yeah, I thought that was a really well done, um, but you know I'm a huge Rick Remender fan. Got kind of violent too. Yeah. What does it say about us? Well, I mean, most <laughs> most of the image books are violent. There's that one book that came out today called Revenge, where that guy's face gets peeled off, and he's. <laughs> that was totally cool. <laughs> he's. Uh, have you have you read that one, Kel? No, but I remember seeing it in the uh, in the previews guide. It is incredibly violent. It's basically it's this guy who is an action film star. And his wife keeps pushing him to go and get plastic surgery done so he'll look younger so he doesn't get replaced for his upcoming sequel. 
So he agrees to do it, and they go and see this special plastic surgeon in Mexico, who's this German guy who's operating in Mexico for some reason. <laughs> and they go there, and the guy sedates him, or tricks him into thinking he's sedated, but he's really awake, and he can feel everything and hear everything. And he starts cutting off his face, and he cuts off his fingertips, and he basically tortures the guy. And the wife just sits there and laughs at the whole thing. You come to find out that uh, she did it all for revenge. Like, they're planning on using all the stuff they cut off of him and, and transplanting on somebody else to basically destroy this guy's life. <laughs> yeah, you've got to mention, though, the guy's like 70-something years old, and the wife's like in her 20s. Yeah. yeah. Lots of sex, lots of violence. <laughs> I guess you can't go wrong with either one of those. No, no, yeah. no, you can't. And it's, it's great when you combine them both. Right, yes. Definitely. <laughs> at the same time, it's even better. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> at least I've never had those experiences. <laughs> Neither have I, I'm just saying. What about you, Kel? Let's get, let's get all personal up in here. I try to keep my sex and my violence separate. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely good. That's probably a good plan. <laughs> yes, you know, okay, I'm going to go off on a tangent here. You know, the sex sometimes can get kind of rough. <laughs> sure, sure, but it doesn't have to turn violent. That's a whole different thing. <laughs> yeah, then you have to get the cops involved, and that's all kinds of problems. Safe word. Safe word. That's all I'm saying. Safe word. What's your safe word? Okay, okay. Horse steps? <laughs> Not funny, man. Not funny. <laughs> I was ragging on him last episode, Cal. <laughs> so why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about Mercenary Sea? I mean, we both read it. We both really enjoyed it. Well, I mean, um, it's a period piece set in the late 30s against the backdrop of the Second Sino-Japanese War, which is when the uh, Japanese invaded China. China had been going through a revolution. The communist forces were rising up against the nationalist empire. And then the Japanese kind of took this inopportune moment to uh, expand their empire. And the communists and nationalists had to set aside their differences and, and basically team up to fight one you know, a single invader. And I chose this area or this region and this time period simply because it's, it's a lot of fun, obviously. I, I kind of think of it as a romantic era in mm-hmm. uh, our history in the sense that not everything is mapped. You know, there's no GPS. There's no satellite. If you need to find something out, you, you know, you can't press a button and get the information. It's you all done with landmarks and, and yeah, hand-drawn maps. Often, you know, you got to... You gotta see what's over the the edge of the horizon there. You don't, you know, there's it's, it hasn't been mapped yet, and just a very fertile ground for uh, just a cool adventure. And that's what I wanted to create with the Mercenary Sea, uh, which is really about a kind of a motley crew of expats and treasure hunters, mercenaries who have banded together aboard this refitted German U-boat from World War One. And originally, they were they're basically mercs for hire for the uh, Chinese Navy. And when things went south, they took the boat and have basically been tooling around the South Seas, looking for the next job, you know, staying one head, uh, step ahead of the admiral they basically betrayed uh, in stealing the boat. And they're also kind of on the lookout for the rumors and clues leading to information about this legendary island that's supposed to be somewhere in the, in the South Pacific, like Skull Island right. uh, from the King right. Kong film. And they're, they're encountering all kinds of uh, interesting characters in their journey. Yeah, through. yeah, they're going to run up against pirates and slavers and uh, cannibals, spies, <laughs> and cannibals, and headhunters. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. Yes, I really enjoyed the first book. I read it twice actually <laughs> before we even got the uh, email you sent us. Uh, I enjoyed it that much. No, that's great. Yeah, I mean, look, I had a lot of fun writing it. You know, I've, I've said this more than a couple of times. The genesis of it or the the inspiration of where this world is certainly you know it's what i what i sold it to image as i said it's, it's raiders of lost art meets firefly and i think that there's a vacuum out there for this type of adventure 
Yeah, there definitely is. There definitely yeah. is. I think a lot of people want to uh, maybe, you know, I'm not saying a lot, but I, I think that there's a lot of expectations that this is going to be some sort of postmodern slant on sort of old school action and adventure, but that's really not what I'm trying to do. I'm not reinventing the wheel. I'm just trying to tell a really good, fun, exciting adventure tale. I think I think you're doing that so far. Yeah, you're doing a good job. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Uh, I can only say that I think it gets better. Matthew uh, Reynolds, who does the art, uh, he's just really phenomenal. Sort of... Yeah, like I love the artwork. Thank you. Yeah, I mean he is he's fantastic. He's actually uh, not too far away from you guys. He's in San Marcos. Okay. Hey. Uh, just outside of uh, uh, of Austin, and uh, I happened to find him on the internet. I was looking uh, through one of the websites that I like, a place called IO9, and they about a year and a half ago, two years ago, had posted some art that Matthew had done that was basically sort of tableaus or, or scenes of Indiana Jones. So did you partner with him before you went and pitched the idea to Image? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was actually the, you know, you mentioned I Love Trouble. I was kind of basically done with my work on I Love Trouble. We, I'd written the first six issues, and Mark Robinson was off working on them. I think he was probably uh, well into issue two at that point, and we were about six months from our debut in, December of 2012, and I was just, you know, kind of looking for my next thing. Eric Stevenson, the publisher at uh, Image, had said, if you've got any other ideas, uh, I'd like to hear them. So I was, you know, it was just sort of a happy accident that I came across Matthew, and we got to talking. I wanted to reach out to him just because I loved this uh, Indiana Jones art that he did, and uh, tracked him down on the internet and reached out. We started exchanging a bunch of emails talking about, you know, the kind of stuff that we grew up loving. Raiders of Lost Ark was on there, and so it was like Johnny Quest, and uh, <laughs> he's a big fan of the Edgar Rice Burroughs tales, like uh, Warlord of Mars, Tarzan. Well, more more Tarzan and more, um, you know, the, the the land that time forgot. Which okay. I never read the Edgar Rice Burroughs books, but I certainly remember seeing the movie from the '60s. You know, the German submarine that comes up in the middle of some bizarre storm and is washed away to some island full of dinosaurs. And I was like, oh yeah, that's that's right up my alley. So. Uh, we're definitely attempting to sort of recreate our childhood with these stories. Cool. You know, for my for my money, I think it's it, if you were disappointed with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, or you were uh, yeah, kind of I bummed that there's no new Firefly episodes being made, I'm trying to kind of <laughs> appeal fill, to fill that, that void. That type of person. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, we both appreciate that because you know we fit both of those. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> demographics like neither one of us enjoyed Crystal Skull or Shia LaBeouf's terrible acting and <laughs> I don't both... think Shia enjoyed it <laughs> yeah he <laughs> maybe not <laughs> but uh, we, we both you know we're big Firefly fans and uh, I can definitely see exactly what you're saying about this book and how it kind of fills that void yeah I mean um, it, it seems to have uh, based, just based on the reactions I've gotten so far certainly from you guys and others it certainly seems as though I I struck a chord. Uh, you know, Matthew and I definitely found a an audience out there who are like-minded. You know, since we all can't get together and hang out by the creek with our action figures and make little scenarios, <laughs> nice. we're going to do this comic book instead. I, I miss those days. <laughs> I don't take them out of the package. <laughs> yeah, not anymore. <laughs> right? Oh, man. So would you say uh, that Firefly and Raiders were like your biggest influence? I mean, you, you just sort of basically look at the, the, the first issue here and you can see that you see the, the sort of ragtag crew brought together on this you know rickety old boat and you know you certainly have the the treasure hunting fortune and glory aspect of indiana jones 
you know, he's not an archaeologist. He's a, you know, our, our lead hero, Jack Harper, the former bootlegger and, and rum runner. But, yeah, I mean, it's certainly cut from that same cloth. And there's a lot of other influence. I mean, I mentioned Johnny Quest, certainly. There's a little James Bond in there. Actually, one of the bigger influences was, and I don't know, you know, how, what kind of cinephiles you guys might be, but I'm a big, big fan of Power <laughs> We're definitely big cinephiles. I watch almost everything that comes out. <laughs> good, good. Well, uh, this is, you know, sort of movies from the 30s and 40s that Howard Hawks films like uh, To Have and Have Not with Humphrey Bogart and Laura McCall and uh, Only Angels Have Wings with Cary Grant. You know, that's also like the original thing from another world. Yeah, I, I, liked, I liked how they were uh, bringing films to show the cannibals. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that, that was part of it. It's like, you know, Jack Harper is, uh, well, he's certainly not me, but parts of him are. I mean, you know, every every character I, I create has something, some, some sort of connection to me. And with Jack, I wanted to make him this kind of romantic uh, in that he loved reading adventure tales. You know, he's got Treasure Island and Robinson Crusoe and Tarzan on his bookshelf. You know, he, he's fascinated with the idea of, I think everybody sort of thinks about this, the get-rich-quick scheme. You know, right. um, I'm going to go find that island, and my life is going to change for the better. So do you have an overall plan for the book in your mind? Like, is I there... do. Um, when we started on this adventure about a year and a half ago, you know, with the scripting of it, I certainly had in mind it was going to be an ongoing series. And, you know, it's, we're always sort of hopeful that, image kind of looks at the sales and goes yep you know what let's keep keep rolling with this which is i think where we're, we're headed with this one but i basically got maybe about three to four big story arcs which run anywhere between five and eight issues for instance the first six issues of the mercenary sea is one story arc okay which will run you know six months of publication so i've got you know three four other big story arcs that will follow and a couple of little interstitial stories uh, the plan being to put out, if we're, you know, if if I can keep Matthew chained to his computer, uh, <laughs> we'll hopefully be ch- churning out enough material that we can <clears throat> put out between eight and ten uh, issues per year. That's the plan anyway. Excellent. And, you know, that that's really like maybe the next 30 issues or so. It's you know, like a total of 30 issues, and that's kind of like the next three years. So that's a lot of stories, a lot of adventures. And my plan is to basically take us right up to the doorstep of America's tree into World War II. Okay. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, I like how you've integrated the history into the, the fantasy elements of the book. Well, you know, I, I like to, uh, I, I certainly do some research with regards to the period, and I don't want to, you know, I'm always the guy who sees a movie and he's like, oh, you can't put a silencer on a revolver, or that's <laughs> not true, or you can't do that, but... Uh, in terms of what I'm trying to do with this, while I'm doing research and while I, I want to make it as historically accurate as possible, uh, as historically accurate as, as it can be if you're on, on the hunt for an island with monsters and bizarre things going on, I still want the story to take precedent over historical fact. So, you know, there's definitely research that goes into it, but I'd like to keep it in the background. You know, I don't want to get bogged down on too many details. I don't care that the submarine is far too spacious for a World War One era U-boat. <laughs> just I want a nice living quarters and a living space for these guys to, to interact with one another on. You know, it's uh, it's also not about sort of ancient tribal cultures of the South Pacific. I'm pretty sure that local natives and islanders didn't watch movies. Right. <laughs> but well, I, I think that, it's I think it's fun. great that you're like pulling historical elements and not you know focusing on it has to be historical fact. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, Believe me, uh, if you're gonna write a uh, term paper about the Second Sino-Japanese War, please do not cite the mercenary scene. <laughs> you're you're not gonna get a good grade. <laughs> I think it might depend on your professor, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's Professor Jones, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> nice. So, what is your uh, writing process like? Well, it's, I try to get the material out as quickly as possible. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm mostly, uh, I'm, I'm always working on multiple things. That's always been very helpful for me as a writer, simply because I'll, I'll run into, not necessarily what I would call writer's block, but I'll run into a stumbling block of one sort or another. And like, oh, I can't figure out this scene and how this character needs to do this thing. So what's always helpful for me is to set that aside for a week or two and then go pick up something else and focus on that while keeping the sort of creative juices flowing and working on an entirely different thing. And I often find that by the time I you know, get to a particular point in that new piece of material, maybe I figured out what the other problem was in the, in the others and I can go back and, and keep working on it. So basically my work writing process is trying to stay as busy as possible. I see. Uh, considering all that, have you have any horror stories like, you know, you're writing something, something bad happens or, or anything, or like a dog eats your work? Or <laughs> uh, <laughs> My friend yeah, is shaking his head at me. <laughs> I was working on something of get, getting back to uh, I Love Trouble, which for those of you who don't know about it, I mean, obviously you guys do, but I don't know how many of your listeners have read it or even heard of it. That was actually something that uh, it was the very first comic book uh, story I ever wrote, and it was something that publisher at Image, Eric Stevenson, approached me about. He had this idea to create this shared universe of characters, which would populate a world where people, generally sort of younger people in their teens, were developing superpowers. I was going to ask. I was going to actually going to ask you about that. Yeah. Why? Why did you guys decide to do it as a miniseries versus an ongoing? Well, it wasn't. Well, this is. Um, going to kind of lay out the at least the origins of it and we'll get to why it didn't go beyond the six issues but okay so he wanted to actually approach other creative teams other writers and, and artists to come up with characters in this world and they were all developing these superpowers but eric didn't want them to be uh sort of fantastical x-men style superpowers he didn't want anybody to fly or shoot laser beams out of their eyes he, he wanted what he called grounded powers okay um, kind of telekinesis, telepathy, clairvoyance, ESP, that sort of thing. So he was actually writing, you know, I don't know if you know, but he, he, he's a writer in his own right. He does Nowhere Men, if you guys haven't been reading that, you that's, should. That's one book I have not picked up, but I'm going to get the trades. Definitely pick it up. It's a lot of fun. Uh, in, in, in both the story and its, its presentation is uh, really fantastic. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good things. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he, uh, he was scripting a character himself. He approached me and basically laid out the idea of Felicia. He didn't, you know, he didn't have her name or anything like that, but he basically told me, I want a woman who has developed these latent powers in her 20s as opposed to her 30s and uh, discovers them in the middle of a, a, a plane accident mm -hmm. and then goes on to uh, be recruited by some sort of nefarious corporation to become an assassin. Said, you know, sort of like with them, Nikita. So I was like, okay, I got my marching orders. I went off and did that. And then there were a couple of other characters in this world that he wanted to do, and one of which was a, a guy who was sent to prison for a crime he didn't commit and experimented on. And I was writing another book while I was doing the Felicia stuff, I was writing another character in this world. 
And uh, getting back to, to your question of like, have I ever had any sort of horror stories? I remember very distinctly having written this fantastic sort of end to one of the uh, uh, comic book scripts. And I don't know how it happened, but I ended up having to shut down my computer. And when I turned it back on, it automatically pulled up the uh, work in progress and, and had it where I had basically auto-saved it. And for whatever reason, I was just closing all the windows that had popped up, because I don't know if you know when you start your computer, all these windows start coming up that you might have had running in the background. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And accidentally <laughs> turned off uh, the word program that I had this script on. It was like, oh, completely mm. lost the whole script. Oh, that <laughs> is went horrible. back and rewrote it, but <laughs> there was one particular scene that I was never able to capture as well as I did the first time I did that. You know, a lot of times... Writing can kind of be like capturing lightning in a bottle. There's a bit of mystery to it rather than science. Yeah. yeah. You just come up with something, it's like, oh, that's fantastic. And I could never get it back. Yeah. Sorry, man. I feel your pain. That's right. It doesn't matter. We ended up not you know, going down the road and you know, getting back to I Love Trouble. You know, the idea was obviously to do it as a, as a series. It was not right. intended to be a mini-series. In fact, I had a lot of loose strands still sort of active. Of, uh, I know, and I could tell, and all yeah, of those, those strands were very interesting, and I was really hoping that it was going to turn into a bigger yeah, universe. You know, <laughs> it didn't find an audience, and you know the whole idea, Eric's original idea of doing this shared universe just never came to fruition either, because we never got other creators involved, and he never got the number of scripts that he wanted to really launch this world, and... Uh, so I Love Trouble basically became the, old, the, the sole inhabitant of this uh, universe, and it just never really found I mean, a, a, a huge audience. It certainly found its fans. I, you know, I, I hear from people all the time, just like you guys, how much they loved the comic and how fun it was. But for whatever reason, you know, it didn't have a broader appeal. Uh, that you know, for instance, a comic like the Mercenary Scene sees seems to be you know, people seems to be that people are responding to it far better than they did out of trouble. It's just more accessible to the the general reader. I think so. I think that's part of it. Uh, I've said this before. I think that I Love Trouble was this kind of meld of different genres. It was a it was a superpowers book, but no one wore capes and tights. You know, the the or your your lead character was a criminal, but it wasn't a wasn't a crime book. So I think maybe, and I don't know, but maybe sometimes people want a, a story to fit into a particular genre or a particular box. It's like, I want to read a superpowers book. And I don't want this crime stuff in here. So we were trying to do something different. And, you know, Mark Robinson and I had had number, a number of conversations where we knew we were doing this hybrid story and certainly hoping, you know, fingers crossed that it was going to find its, uh, its audience. And like I said, it definitely found a... Uh, a a fandom out there, a group of people who really responded to it and loved the story and wanted to see more. You know, it's just unfortunate it didn't have a broader appeal. You know, you kept seeing the numbers go down with each issue and just, oh, damn, that's just so depressing. Really unfortunate because I I, I truly did love it and it is a, like, self-enclosed kind of story. Well, I was able to, you know, I don't want to say salvage, but I certainly had in mind the whole time that the first six issues was going to at least have some closure and take us to another place. You know, I don't mind saying, it's not like this is a spoiler alert, because I don't think anything will sort of happen in this world again, but uh, the next group of comics or the next series of stories in that world was going to be Felicia, months after leaving the Mars Corporation, kind of pulled back into that world as she tries to pull her sister out, who has been recruited by Mars, basically as her replacement. And ultimately, it was going to be sister versus sister, power versus power, uh, as Felicia was really going to become uh, 
her sister is her sister Maggie's nemesis. That would have been really cool. I, I thought it was going to be kind of cool. You know, some people kind of caught on to the fact that it really is sort of an origin story for a supervillain, in a sense. But a villain that, you know, it's not really villainous, but you, you know, certainly by no means uh, whole, wholehearted and pure. Yeah, it was, it was a book that I was really drawn to because of the cover art mm-hmm. and because of the actual texture of the book. The book was printed on... Um, a very of, heavy, very expensive stock. Yeah, and <laughs> it's not like everything you see. Most, most books are printed on a very glossy... Yeah. Kind of, you know, typical cheap kind of paper. But this, yeah, well, this that was, was Mark Robinson who was really interested in creating that feel that you you appreciated that uh, that sense of like turning the pages and man, this feels like old school comic book uh, paper. That's what he was he was going for. Yeah, there were so many things that were just so cool about that book. And honestly, I had no idea that you know, the person who wrote that book is the same person that wrote Mercenary C until I started doing research when we found you were coming on the show. And I was just like, yay, it's the guy that wrote out of trouble because I really love that book so much. <laughs> Miguel was making fun of me earlier for it. <laughs> yeah, I was picking on it. I was like, man love. <laughs> man crush. <laughs> well, I got a question for you. Uh, I love trouble, obviously, you know what type of world that is. And then you have Mercenary C in its own little world. Do you prefer writing about different things or do you want to stick to a certain genre? No, I mean, uh, I write about whatever comes to mind. Um, the next series that I'm doing for Image, which may be out at the end of this year, is <clears throat> very much uh, a swords and sorcery adventure tale uh, oh. inspired by like the, the Conan books, Cool, which, oh, I've, which I've only recently discovered and fallen in love with. Um, you know, I mean, I certainly, you know, I'd seen the, the Schwarzenegger movie in the 80s growing up and was obviously a, a very aware of the character, but never got around to reading the books. And it wasn't until, I mean, years ago, I'd seen that uh, Vincent D'Onofrio film, The Whole Wide World, where he played Robert Howard. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's a really fascinating film, but it, he plays the author, Robert Howard, author of Conan. And I was just kind of fascinated by that movie. It was just a really interesting character study. Hmm. And it never thought, oh, you know what? I should probably go off and read the, read the books. And I just recently in the last few years picked up a collection of stories and was really blown away by the sophistication of the writing um you know this is the 1930s when he was writing this and it's it's very contemporary it's it really feels like it could have been written you know it's this uh, fully realized fantasy world that feels like something that would have been written in the 70s or 80s uh having grown up sort of a big science fiction buff uh, in my teens and read a lot of golden era science fiction, etc. Um, but anyway, getting back to your question, uh, no, I don't like to necessarily stay in one particular genre, so to speak. Uh, aside from the comic book stuff I, I have, I, I you know also write movies and, and TV scripts. So I've got like a we got a script that's about the director Sam Peckinpah, and it's sort of a darkly comedic look at the last years of his life when he basically couldn't get hired after making the movie Convoy. Uh, so that's kind of an unusual departure for the kind of things that I do. It's uh, almost, you know, it's a, obviously it's a biographical picture and it's this intense drama as well. How do you compare writing a script to writing a comic? They're basically the same. I mean, writing is writing and storytelling is storytelling. Uh, your job is the same either way. But I will say that, you know, there are... There are subtle and very minor differences. When I write uh, a film script, I'm not going to be writing camera direction. I stay away from sort of giving direction to actors on the page because that's going to be a director. Uh, um, 
there's going to be a cinematographer, and they're responsible for the way that the film is shot and how each scene is staged. And you know, they don't need me saying this is a medium close-up, this is a wide-angle shot. You just you don't do that kind of thing. Yeah, I guess that's true. You don't have to be responsible for everybody's but job. In a, <laughs> in a comic book script, it's the exact opposite because I am the director along with uh, the, the artist, so I can be very specific and often am very specific about how each panel should be staged and how it, you know, how each panel relates to the other panels on the page. But I'm not, uh, uh, you know, the sort of dictator about it. I, whenever the artist comes on board, whatever they want to do, they're my partners on it. So I defer to them because they've got to draw it. But at the very least, I, I tackle it slightly differently. And also writing a screenplay is it's basically a document that's going to be read by dozens if not hundreds of people uh if you were ever to get it made you know a whole host of craftsmen who are responsible for bringing the project to life whereas a script for a comic book is a much more intimate document just between me and the um and the artist so i'll you know be very casual and, and, and you know it's almost like a conversation i'm having with matthew when i write a script for the mercenary city yeah, you know, and I'll reference cool. movies and scenes, you know, that influenced a particular scene that I'm doing, saying, "Oh, there's this. It's sort of like this scene in this movie, and let's, you know, and this character looks like the the missionary and, and uh, uh, Kate Hepburn's brother from uh, the African Queen." So, how much uh, does Matthew's opinion matter on some of this stuff? I mean, does he get a lot of input on how? Oh, absolutely. Well, look, he, he and I came up with this together. Okay. Uh, it was born from conversations we were having. Whereas I Love Trouble was a different set of circumstances. It was a project that was brought to me by somebody else, so it really wasn't an original by me, even though I created pretty much everything that's in there. I was still sort of following somebody else's vision originally. Uh, and I had actually written a couple of scripts before Mark Robinson had uh, come aboard. Uh, but once he was on board, his own personal vision changed a lot of what I had in the script and certainly influenced me moving forward. You know, for instance, the character of Marcel, the uh, sort of phantasm monkey that torments Felicia, mm-hmm. uh, was uh, an idea of his originally. He wanted to give Felicia this uh, sort of Jimmy Cricket-like conscience. <laughs> uh, someone for her to talk to as she's experiencing these doubts about what she's doing and she's right. having these little massive issues with the morals of what she's uh, doing. You know, she was, a, she, was a, she was always a criminal. She was always somebody who was ripping people off, but she was never a murderer. Right, she's never a bad person. It was just she exactly. was doing I mean, what she, she was, had to do. She was a bad person, but she wasn't, like, really bad, and she's right. having a moral crisis dealing with that. Right. I liked Marcel. It was a really good character. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what made you want to become a writer um, in the first place? Um, I just, maybe it's probably because I'm completely unqualified to do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we podcast. We have yeah. no other talents. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, you know... I grew up with an incredibly active imagination, and uh, I figured, let's see if I can make a career out of this somehow. So, with your active imagination and being a writer, have you ever given consideration to writing a children's comic book? Uh, I haven't, although, you know, The Mercenary Sea is, you know, I wrote it for 12-year-old Kel Simons, but any other 10, 11, 12-year-old kid, I think, can read this, and, you know, it's not... It's not I Love Trouble. I mean, I would never want a kid to read I Love Trouble. That was a completely different kind of book. But <laughs> yeah. This, I think, you know, kind of appeals to a, you know, anyone from the age uh, 10 to, to 65. I mean, it's it was intended to be a bit broader. And I have friends who have kids who have read it and really liked it. And 
you know, the comic's been out for a couple of weeks now, and I've been getting uh, messages on our Facebook pages and our, you know, our Twitter account and everything, just saying how much, you know, some guy will say, oh, I read it with my uh, 11-year-old son, and he, we really loved it. It was a great thing for us to read together. And I'm like, that's great, because that's, you know, that's kind of what I'm, I'm trying to do is appeal to that... Uh, everybody's sense of adventure. Everybody's sense of adventure, everybody's yeah. sense of... Uh, uh, that childlike sense of imagination. And that's what Jack has as well. He's got this childlike sense of imagination. I mean, he's running around, he reads these fantasy adventure books, and he's running around looking for treasure in the South Seas. He's, he's like a little kid. He's like me in that regard. How do you choose the names for your characters? You know, randomly, I guess. I chose Jack Harper simply because I... I Jack is a good solid name, I guess, and his name Harper is supposed to sort of suggest Harper Angel. You know, he's still kind of a good guy, even though he's he's a he's a he's a bootlegger and you know he's technically kind of a criminal. There, not a lot of thought goes into uh, every name. Some some I, I I definitely think about a lot more than others. Names are definitely important. I mean, that's one of the they're, most important things important, in the book. But uh, <laughs> they're not everything. Yeah, they're not everything. I mean, I know sure. guys that I know writers who just like go randomly look in a, a telephone uh, back when we had telephone books, I guess. Huh. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> I I, yeah, I never would have thought to do that. Everything I've ever named, I've come up with off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, like Giraud, I wanted a cool-sounding French name, so I came up with Giraud. And I'll bet that I was probably thinking of Al Giraud, the singer. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Wherever you can draw that inspiration from. <laughs> yes, exactly. Hmm. And the dog is named Friday because of Robson Crusoe. I, I love that, too. That's one of my favorite aspects of the, the, the whole picture, is that the dog's name is Friday. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kind of making it up as I go, guys. So are we. Can you yeah. tell? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, little, a little out of source right now. So you're writing your books, and you're doing it with Image. How awesome is it to work with Image? Well, I mean, I only have that to compare, you know, that experience. I don't. You know, I haven't worked on with other uh, publishers, but, <laughs> I mean, how great is Image in that they allow their creators to do, you know, pretty much anything. There's not any serious oversight or control, which I have to say initially was kind of frightening. When I write a script and give it to Eric, and I say, do you have any notes? And after like the first book, which he kind of, the first time I had written a script, he gave me some notes and some pointers, but he was basically like, no, you pretty much write whatever you want. We're not here to edit your content. Uh, we put out the book that you want to write. That's what being a creator-controlled uh, publishing company is all about. So, I mean, how great is that? Really. That, that's that, that's yeah. the dream. <laughs> yeah. So do you have any advice for aspiring writers? Well, I mean, write all the time is something that uh, um, I, I, I try to live by. I mean, you know, not every waking hour or anything like that, but I'm always writing in one form or another. I'm always thinking about something that probably relates to something I'm working on. But for people that probably want to break into the industry, be it the comic book industry or the film and television industry, Whatever it is that you're trying to do and whatever you're, it is you're trying to create, I would highly recommend working in that industry as much as possible. Like, if you want to become uh, a comic book writer, you should go work for a comic book publisher or, you know, become the assistant to a comic book creator. You want to be able to sort of be in that realm as much as possible, and that's where opportunities tend to present themselves. You hiring? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I have any money to pay you. <laughs> nice. But, uh, you know, like I worked in the film and TV industry for years as an executive. And not only did I meet people and create relationships, which then became valuable when I became a writer, 
it allowed me to experience that world to the fullest in the sense that I was reading a lot of scripts. Uh, you know, I, I went to film school, but the reality is I don't think anybody could be taught how to write. Right. You yeah. either have the talent or you don't. Yeah. That's not to say, though, that you can't refine and hone that talent, which is why, you know, programs like film school or writing programs are valuable, not only because they help refine your, your skills, but they also introduce you to like-minded people. You know, you're in a class with writers, you're sharing your material, they're commenting on your material, you're, you're getting better, you're getting, becoming a stronger writer because of that interaction. But getting back to what I was saying is that, that you know, I, I worked in the industry for years, so I, I read a lot of screenplays, and I can promise you that that as much as any other education I received was uh, a valuable part of uh, becoming a, a more successful writer. All you have to do is read a bunch of bad scripts to know what not to do and read a bunch of great scripts to know what you want to attain. That's how I learned to podcast. I listened to a bunch <laughs> of bad ones and I listened to a bunch of good ones. There you go. <laughs> the judgment is still out on I it. actually think I learn more from bad movies and bad writing than I do from good movies or good writing because the errors and the missteps are so sort of glaring. They're like, okay, don't do that. <laughs> don't have a character ever do something like that. That's my story. Cool. <laughs> well, here's a question for you. Yeah. Knowing how Mercenary C is doing, how I Love Trouble did, how do you react or how do you feel when you get negative responses from the audience and when you get positive responses from your audience in regards to your books? I mean, the easy answer is you're soaring through the clouds on, you know, lifted up by the positive response and you know, a lot of times you're just absolutely devastated by negative criticism. However, you got to learn to fight through that. I mean, there is going to be ne- people are not going to get what you do all the time, and you have to just learn to set aside your emotional feelings. And you know, maybe that that devastation isn't is lessened as much as you could possibly do that. And it's not easy. I mean, it's something you have to learn to do as much as anything else. It's like learning proper grammar and, and punctuation. You have to learn how to deal with negative criticism and build from it. And, you know, not all criticism is constructive, but you've got to be able to take some positives away from, from something. But then you also uh, kind of have to be able to just tune some of that shit out. There's no other way to put it. I mean, there are yeah. haters going to hate. <laughs> you know, I've certainly read a lot of the reviews for The Mercenary Sea, and not everybody loved it. You know, some people really hated it. And I'm like, oh, all right, well, sorry, dude. I'm sorry I didn't, it didn't work out for you. That's fine. Yeah. I'm not writing it for you, apparently. I'm going to hear from some other people. Tell me but I'm really just writing it for myself. <laughs> exactly. well, that's kind of surprising. I, I don't see anybody could hate it. I can see how it's not everybody's cup of tea. Yeah. But you can at least appreciate, I mean, even if it's not something that you would typically pick up for yourself, you can at least appreciate, like, the good aspects of it. Because there's something in there for everybody. At least I feel that way. Apparently not this guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, some people aren't so smart. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what to say. It's, it's art. It's subjective. You can't make people like it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and here's the thing. I'm not making it to make everybody like it. I'm, I'm really making it to satisfy a creative need that I have. You're making it for a 12-year-old you, like you already You're said. It for 12-year-old me, exactly. It's, it's, I'm, I'm playing in the dirt by the creek with my uh, G.I. Joe action figures and Star Wars people all over again. Favorite G.I. Joe character? Snake Eyes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's got to be. It's either that or Storm Shadow. I mean, come on. No hesitation either. It's got to be the Boom. ninjas. <laughs> also kind of like Roadblock. Oh, yeah. Roadblock's a good character. Well, yeah. you see some Roadblock in, uh, in Stackhouse, our, uh, our, our ex-prize fighter. We, we make jokes about the G.I. Joe movie all the time. Miguel can do the... Guys, I didn't even bother seeing it. 
<laughs> I, I, I just knew. I could tell. He knows the words. <laughs> Even the sound effects that goes along with it. Yeah, I have also never sat through an entire Transformers film. I'm just like, I don't need it. I can see that's you know, and it's very popular, and I, I, there's no accounting for good taste, and I can't, you know, I can't say that everything about it is bad. It's just like, ah, this is just not a movie. I would rather watch. I'd rather watch Drive. <laughs> <laughs> well, the animated Transformers wasn't so terrible. Oh, but, yeah, uh... I, believe, believe me, I love. I grew up <laughs> on that stuff. I, I grew up on the GI Joe cartoons, although. It always kind of annoyed me that everybody lived. <laughs> like yes. anytime a, a jet, uh, you know, when, anytime when the Cobra jets got shot down, a parachute immediately opened. It was like well, nobody dies in the show. That's the GI Joe movie I was talking about. I wasn't talking about the the modern day ones with the live <laughs> oh, action. Okay. I was talking about the old school one because we, oh, we yeah, make jokes yeah, about yeah. that all the time. With that and that machine up in the mountains. Right. Right. Go ahead and say it, Justin. I always I always do a good Nemesis Enforcer impression where he's like. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's why I actually liked movies or uh, TV series like uh, Robotech when I was growing up, because people died in Robotech. Yes. <laughs> and each episode, conti- story continued from episode to episode, whereas a lot of kids' TV shows, like, you know, in Voltron, they formed the, you know, they fought as five lions, and then they formed Voltron, and then they were able to defeat the thing by always slicing it in half with their sword. And it just got like this, it was repetitious and never carried into whatever happened. Episode one never carried into uh, episodes two, three, and four. Whereas a show like Robotech was this, it was a soap opera for kids (laughs) that was anime. And, you know, there was relationships and romantic triangles. And And a big overarching story with a lot of smaller stories built into it. got killed and so did Ben. And you're like, oh my God, they killed off one of the main characters. That's crazy. I love this. I was the same way. I love shows that had bigger stories that continued from episode to episode rather than just, you know, one, yeah. one and dones. I, you know, I, I was, a, I'm, I'm, was a fan of ER, and I didn't watch <laughs> ER to learn about uh, emergency room hospital procedures. I watched it because that doctor was in love with that nurse, and that doctor was sleeping with that doctor, and, it was, and there were it was all the inter, interpersonal relationships. That's where the drama comes from. Yeah. Uh, yes, there was, you know, 15 minutes of intense medical procedure every episode, but that was just sort of icing on the cake. What, what you watch shows like that for is to be entertained by the serialized nature. And I'm sure watching all that stuff as a kid is, is part of what made you such a good writer today. <laughs> I, I hope so. I mean, uh, you know, the, the influences are certainly there. You know, I, I've often thought about, um, you know, I'm a big Joss Whedon fan, as I imagine you guys are as well. Indeed. And the great thing that Joss Whedon does is, I mean, one of the great things that he does, aside from capturing a, a voice that seems to be speaking directly to me, uh, what he does is he kind of lets you know that, I know you love these characters, but bad shit happens to people in reality, and maybe this one's not going to survive this episode. How are you going to kill Wash? <laughs> <laughs> But you know what? I loved that. I, I did too. I hated it. It ripped my guts out. Uh, you know, like like a reverse uh, uh, harpoon through my heart. But I love that he did that. Me too. And my thinking is that he it. probably grew up very similarly to uh, the way I grew up in that we all watched the same TV shows. We all watched the same crap on television over and over and over again. And at the end of every hour or the or half hour, whatever you know, whatever show you're watching, at the end of the show, everybody was still okay. You know, mm-hmm. tragedy never really seeped into these characters' lives. Yeah, I'm obviously speaking about sort of the earlier uh, ages of television 
and you know shows like you know Riptide. Oh Christ! I'm just I'm trying to think of like shows that I, I remember watching and loving as a you know 12 year old kid. I mean Battlestar Galactica and yeah. Bob Rogers yeah. and all of that stuff. But it wasn't until you start to mature and you crave a certain dose of reality in your shows and shows also sort of matured in, in their own and started getting darker and storylines got more serious and in being serious they were sometimes tragic and Gary the character you loved on 30 something gets killed in a random car accident yeah. there's no shortage of that on TV today no I mean I think because television is being written by the children of television 20 years ago and they don't want to do the shows that they grew up on. They're, they're, they want to create a show that I think is a little bit more lifelike and realistic in that sometimes bad shit happens to good people. That's just the way that life is. I just feel like it's a great time to be alive because there's so much good media out there. Oh, yeah. I mean, television in the last 20 years has eclipsed uh, feature films as far as I'm concerned. I mean, the best stuff, the best entertainment is being done on TV, not in the theater. I'm not to say that there still aren't great movies, and there, there certainly are, but I would far, I, I, I get far more excited about a show like True Detective or yes. <laughs> Deadwood or Breaking uh, Bad. Breaking Bad. Yeah. <laughs> I like these shows uh, because they reflect a reality that I have come to realize as I've grown up. Not only that, there's just some amazing, just simply amazing writing and characters on those shows. Can't argue with any of that. Nope. Well, that's good. <laughs> okay. Well, we had a couple other things we were thinking about talking about, but... Uh, but I ruined that? No, no, no. You didn't ruin about anything. I, this has been a great interview so far. We talk, We want to talk about Harold Ramis passing away briefly, at least. Uh, yeah, that, that, that really has affected a lot of people that I know in a way that I wouldn't have expected. But, you know, the man was involved in so many great movies that are part of my childhood and growing up. Yeah, me too. It was a really sad day when that happened. Oh, I, I, the first thing I thought about... Um, I was in the Army, and I went to basic training, and the night before I chipped off for Army Basic, I watched Stripes. Stripes! <laughs> <laughs> and it was, of course, the next uh, you know eight weeks of my life was, hey, uh, where are all the cute MPs? <laughs> why, why is it this funnier than it was in Stripes? <laughs> Created a false... Uh... False expectation for yeah, you. Yeah, huh? food's terrible and I have to do all these push-ups. <laughs> I just want to make out with Sean Young. Damn it. That's awesome. <laughs> That's hilarious. But yeah, I mean, uh, Harold Ramis, so so sad he's gone. I was really looking forward to Ghostbusters 3. Um, I was not. I was, no? I was really hoping that after Ghostbusters 2, I was like, let's just put a nail in this one, please. Well, they, they released the Ghostbusters video game, which was uh-huh. supposed to be the script for the third movie. Oh, really? And it was actually really well done. If if that was a precursor for what the movie was going to be, I was so excited for it. But, you know, Nell yeah, will, will never I, know. I'm, I would rather not taint the memory of, uh, of Ghostbusters. It, uh, it may not have done as well in this time as it did back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I mean, it could have been a flop and it could have ruined the whole franchise. I mean, it, 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 it could be kissed, uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Ah. That is true. And that ripped my heart out like. Uh, but uh, I'm, like I'm sure. Ma, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure Ramis and Aykroyd were smart <laughs> enough not to put Shia off anywhere near that movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know, but they did make. They, they unfortunately did make Ghostbusters too. It's Vigo. <laughs> <laughs> the bathtub tried to eat Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> we watched that not too long ago. Oh my god. Oh That's man. Funny. Well, I uh, no, but his passing is, a, is really just a, a, a fantastic loss. Actually, I wanted to go back and watch 
I went immediately to see if uh, SCTV episodes were available on iTunes or Netflix, which sadly they are not. And I briefly considered spending like $115 to buy the like box set of four seasons of SCTV, which I was a, a huge fan of growing up. I know it sucks getting old as we see our, our heroes start to pass. Indeed it does. The guys that are, you know, surrogate fathers to us and mothers and, you know, musicians that we, that invaded our soul in our teenage years dying is just uh, this, this tragedy that we can't, uh, we can't escape, unfortunately. All we can do is to take to Facebook and Twitter and, and talk about it. That's right. That is true. <laughs> Facebook is, is the biggest uh, self-help group on the planet. <laughs> it turns into like a wake. Yeah. You know, it really does, and it's really funny. People will give you advice, and you're like, what the hell? I didn't ask you for your advice. I'm asking this person. And so then everybody pops up, and you're like, okay, well, I guess I'll take it. It's just, it cracks me up sometimes. It takes a village. It, it does. It really, truly does take a village. Absolutely. Yeah, social media has changed everything. <laughs> yep. I remember going to college and not even having a cell phone, and I'm like, oh my god, now I'm texting people 24-7. Yeah, and, and I, I really do. I, I, I sort of held out a couple of years on the cell phone thing. Also, it was just sort of like this unnecessary expense. Like, but I have a phone at home. Why do I need to carry one around with me all the time? Exactly. <laughs> There's all these pay phones everywhere. And that kind of logic is just crazy nowadays. <laughs> well, now I don't even have a landline. I'm like some millennial kid who just has a, a cell phone. That's all I need. You know, back in the day, I was the same thing. I had a home a home phone. There was no reason to have a cell phone. I didn't need one. I was never going to call anybody or text anybody. Well, I did have a pager. Now I can't live without it. <laughs> I had a pager, though. My pager, oh, I had the pager, too. I, I thought that was the coolest thing, and it was like some see-through like little pager, and I carried it around like I was <laughs> the hottest thing since sliced bread, and I was like, whoa, look at me. And did it light up in, like, purple and, and blue? Yes, absolutely. It sure did. It sure did. My my dad was so proud he bought it for me. He's like, here you go. Here's This is your birthday gift. And I just wanted it so it would go off. I didn't even call anybody back. I just, I just thought it was so cool that it did something. We've come so far. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll be putting RFID chips in our kits sooner rather than later. Probably so. The sky's the limit when it comes to technology. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about our giveaway. Um, a couple weeks ago, we decided, since we love Mercenary Sea so much... We're going to give away a copy of the first issue. All you had to do to enter for a chance to win was like us on Facebook and post the name of your favorite independent comic. Or you can do it on Twitter as well by replying to one of our many tweets. <laughs> we got a few entries, and I put them all here in a random result generator. And let me hit the button here and see who our winner is. Last week you rolled a dice. Yes, last week I rolled the <laughs> dice, because last week we sadly only had six entries. Well, I, I thought maybe it was like... A- you know, 20-sided die or something. D12. It, it was, actually, I think. <laughs> well, that's the crazy thing. I mean, I have stats for our show. I know that we've had, like, 400 people listen to our show in February. How, how is there only six people that, that tried to win the free comic two weeks ago? I don't know. I don't enter a contest myself, so I, maybe it's just people just don't think they're going to win. I, I guess. We had a lot more interest this time. It was a lot better this time. I think there was 22. Wow. Can't even use a D20 on that one. It's a, it's a much better uh, better result. I guess everybody was more excited about Mercenary C than they were about uh, Deadly Class. <laughs> but uh, let's see. Our winner is Baron Chris Ryder, who entered on Facebook and said that his favorite independent book is Strange Pirate Tales, which goes along with this pretty well. <laughs> it does. It does. So uh, just shoot me a message on Facebook, Chris, and I will get your information and mail you out the copy. And uh, I'm going to get uh, Matthew to sign it, and I'm going to sign it and send you a copy, actually. Awesome. Oh, cool. So look at that. You're getting an even better and, prize. And it will include some uh, Mercenary C stickers that we just did up. Oh, cool. Oh, nice. Wow. 
That's amazing. Well, thanks. <laughs> I'm sure Chris will appreciate that. Better. Or else we're going to go chop him off at the knees. That's it. Look, a couple days later, why is this on Amazon? <laughs> eBay. Actually, a couple weeks ago, we had uh, Omar Spahi on the show. Oh, from Los Angeles? Yes. Yeah. Uh, at Heidi Ho Comics? Yeah, he was uh, telling us that he met you the day the Mercenary Seat came out and got a signed copy from Yeah, I went in, uh, I was dropping off some postcards advertising the, the next book or the day it came out, and we ended up meeting and, and talking. Yeah, he's a Very really, nice dude. Yeah, he's a really cool guy. Uh, he's friends with uh, a guy I've known for years, Seat Donnelly. Yep. And, uh, yeah, both he and Seat were there, and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool, and I got, got to sign their books and, and talk it up. Cool. Yeah, we're friends with them on Twitter and Facebook, and... We've been talking a lot about Thaniel, his upcoming book, and oh yeah, doing yeah. a lot of cross promotion because we're we're big fans of independent books and doing everything we can to help support you know you guys out there writing stuff and you know hopefully you guys are helping support us to grow our audience. <laughs> Absolutely, we're all in it together. That's right. That's right. The internet's a wonderful place. <laughs> <laughs> If you love cat videos, absolutely. Yes. And well, I who do. doesn't? <laughs> and I do. And in fact, I terrorize. We have cats. In fact, I'm sure you've heard them meowing in the background, yeah. um, which is terrible. I just thought that was Miguel. Whoa. <laughs> Partly him, that's true. He does meow. It was him once or twice. Don't let him fool you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to have some, some biting humor today. What's going on, man? You're all quiet. I don't know, man. That drive just... Like really just sapped all your energy? Yeah, just wiped out from, that, uh, from the rodeo. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, I was very interested in hearing what you had to say there. Interested, I mean, because I enjoyed the book so much, and I just wanted to hear more about you and what you're planning on doing in the future. And very engaging. Eat, eat more of these books is the short is the short answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm happy that it, uh, it has so clearly found a fanship. Like-minded people are like, oh yeah, I like that same sort of sense of adventure. I want more of that. I'm very fortunate in that regard. Well, you keep writing them, and we'll keep buying them. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> done and done. Nice. So uh, I'll throw this out to you as well. Uh, when we talk to Omar, uh, my buddy here seems to have us everywhere, and we're actually going to our local Comic Palooza thing here in uh, May. Uh-huh. And uh, we told Omar, why don't you come on down? So throw that at you. Possibility of you making it down here? Uh, and that's in Houston? Yes, sir. It's very possible. I mean, um, just got to see where I am work wise at that point, but I- I'm not as present at, you know, comic book conventions i just i've yet to really participate in them in the sense that i just i don't feel i have a big enough footprint in the industry you know only having ever done i love trouble before and i've definitely been to those signings where it's me and a bunch of other creators and i'm just sitting there's like four people came up over the course of four hours to, <laughs> to get books i'm like oh this is this is depressing <laughs> Maybe the success of Mercenary Sea will change it up. But, yeah. I think so. I'm, I'm sure it will. I'm sure I definitely want to be traveling more and uh, meeting the fans uh, a lot more than I, I did uh, with I Love Trouble. So, anything is definitely possible. Well, it's Comic Palooza. It's Houston's big Comic-Con. It's May 23rd through 26th. We're going to be guests. Uh, we're going to be doing interviews with all the different celebrities and uh, comic book creators that are there. So... Or maybe I get, uh, you know, since Matthew's in Texas, maybe I get him to show up. That would be awesome. That, it'll be the first time Matthew and I get to meet face-to-face. We've only ever... Oh, wow. Really? Huh. It's like Sleepless in Seattle, but with comedy. <laughs> oh. Nice. Wow. Well, as long as Meg Ryan's not in it, we're, we're all good. <laughs> that, that sounds pretty sexy, I have to say. That's pretty awesome. I told him to meet me on the top of the uh, Empire State Building if, if he 
New York. <laughs> the end of the year. We'll see if that happens. That's a really long way for both of you to travel. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Cool. But we figured maybe we'll just work, work in uh, New York Comic Con while we're there. That would be awesome. I mean, if you can make it. If not, you know, no big deal, but... We'll, uh, we'll you know, you've got my information now, uh, you know, send it to me off, off the air, as they say, and uh, we'll see if we can make it happen. Okay. And if not that, something something else. Awesome. All right, cool. Well, we appreciate you being on the show. Uh, I appreciate you guys inviting me. This is a lot of fun. Next week, we're going to have Steve Orlando on the show talking about his new book, Undertow. Uh, have you read that one? Uh, I have. I have. Did you I like it? It's really cool. It's, it's sort of in the same... Uh, you know, it's also cut from the same cloth as Mercenary C. Yeah, it is. We're, we're excited to have him on the show and talk about his book, too. Our, our plan was never really to become an interview kind of show, but uh, we talked to Omar, and we had so much fun doing that one, and now we've talked to you, and we're enjoying this, too. So I have no problem doing more and more interviews as long as there's creators out there that want to come on. I, mean, I can't imagine people don't want to talk about their books. I hope so. <laughs> I hope we're <laughs> able to find a couple, at least. I hope everybody wants to come on and talk about their stuff. Yeah, I actually enjoy listening to you guys talk about you know your stuff and the travels and what you've gone through. It's interesting to me. It gets us gets us to know you guys more on a personal basis. Yeah. Uh, so it makes it when we pick up your books and we read them, hey, we got to talk to this guy. He was really cool. And uh, I'm just glad he come off like a dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't gonna say anything, but uh, <laughs> he made that Thank cat comment. <laughs> Call me a cat, will you, bastard? <laughs> I'm gonna, call, I'm gonna call this episode "Meow Dash." That's Miguel. <laughs> that's messed up, man. That's what happened. All right. Well, in closing, just to remind everybody, you can uh, find our episodes at comicalpodcast.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher, and please do and leave us some reviews. We're trying to build our audience, and you know the best way to do that is to get some positive feedback that pushes us to the front page on those sites. Follow us on Twitter at, at @comicalpodcast and like us on Facebook at facebook.com/comicalpodcast. We're everywhere. Did you see your Doogie Howser moment, too? Oh, and also there's now a blog that I'm updating daily, and I've been keeping up with it. It hasn't been very funny so far because the last <laughs> week of my life has been pretty awful, but if you want to know what's going on with me, that's a good place to check. You can find that on our website. And that's pretty much it. Got anything else you want to talk about? No, no, I have nothing. All right. I'm well, hurting right now. Somebody give me a beer. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again, Kel. We really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. And everybody listening, keep on laughing, bitches.